Welcome to week three together of our look through First and Second Samuel, day one of this third week. We're going to look at chapters nine and ten today. In chapters nine and ten, Saul is anointed as king. Remember, at the end of last week, the people wanted a king. God said they could have a king. And Saul here is anointed as king. It's one of the strangest coronations you're ever going to see. So what I'd like to do today is just walk through this story. And as we walk through it, we're going to see truths about Saul. We're going to see truths about us. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 9, there was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphiah, the son of Benjamin. Now, remember my little tip. Whenever you're reading these many, many names, you just read them with great confidence and people will believe you know how to pronounce them. So now, beginning in verse 2, he had a son named Saul, an impressive young man without equal among the Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. Now, the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shashilah, and they could not find him. And so they went on to the district of Shalim, and the donkeys were not there. And then they passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. So here's how this coronation of a king begins. He's out looking for donkeys. Sometimes extraordinary things are happening when it all looks ordinary to us. I want you to notice that Saul here is said to be taller than anyone in Israel, a head taller. We're going to see as we walk through this story that beginning in this calling to be king, Saul struggles with a lifelong and life-ruining sense of inferiority. Even though he's taller than anybody in the country, sometimes those with the greatest outward gifts struggle with the most severe sense of inadequacy, of inferiority. We're going to talk about dealing with that as we walk through this today. So they're looking for the donkeys, Saul and this servant, and they hear there's a, a prophet, and they head into town to ask him about the donkeys. Now, Saul wasn't even going to talk to Samuel, but his servant convinces him, we've got to go find this prophet. We've got to find these donkeys. God had prepared Samuel's heart to know what would happen. And it took Samuel, who'd heard from God, to cause Saul to see that when he thought he was just looking for donkeys, instead, God was looking to anoint him to be the king of Israel. Verse 17, listen to what happens. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man that I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. And Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go, and I will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys that you lost three days ago, don't worry about them. They've been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and all your father's family? Saul answered, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? So there it is at the end. There's that inferiority. A smallest tribe. How could you say something like this to me? This inferiority, it has to be dealt with in all of our lives. I I found that everyone struggles with some sense of inferiority. It's more hidden in some than others, but we all struggle with it because guess what? We are inferior. We're living in a world where we can't live up to all the opportunities. We're living in a world that's fallen and we know our own sinful hearts. We are inferior. So how do I deal with it? If we deal with it well, this sense of inferiority, it results in a greater dependence on God. But if we deal with it badly, 
it results in a life that usually swings between self-dependence and self-doubt, just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Chapter 10, verse 1. Samuel meets with Saul, and listen what happens. Samuel took a flask of oil, and he poured it on Saul's head, and he kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you as leader over his inheritance? And when you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. And they will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He's asking, what shall I do about my son? And then you will go up from there until you reach the great tree at Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. And after that, you will go to Gibeah of God. And there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres and tambourines and flutes and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them. And you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your heart finds to do. For God is with you. So Samuel anoints Saul to be king. He puts an anointing oil on his head, and then he gives him three things to assure him of his call. What's God doing in these, in these verses? He is assuring Saul of the call in his life. Three things. First, he said, some men are going to tell you that the donkeys, the donkeys again, the donkeys have been found and that your father is concerned about you now. And he says, three men are going to meet you at Tabor, and they're going to offer you two loaves of bread out of all these things that they have. And then he says, you're going to meet, number three, a procession of prophets going into Gibeah. You're going to prophesy by God's Spirit with them. So from simple assurances to spiritual experiences, God is telling him, I am in this. I'm the one who's anointing you. All these things are going to happen as an assurance that this anointing is real. Now, I want you to look more closely with me at this, these three things that happened. Because as you look at them more closely, I don't, I don't want to extend this too far, but it's pretty obvious that this is an example to Saul. God's saying, I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to meet your emotional needs. I'm going to meet your physical needs. I'm going to meet your spiritual needs, your emotional needs. Some men are going to meet you that say, your dad's looking for you. He cares about you. He doesn't just care about the donkeys. Your dad cares about you. I'm going to meet your emotional needs, God says. I'm going to meet your physical needs. Some other men are going to meet you. They have all these things. They're going to offer you a couple of loaves of bread. God's going to meet your needs. And number three, I'm going to meet your spiritual needs. God's going to fill you with his spirit. You're going to prophesy with these people. In the affirmation of his call, Saul was learning that God would meet his needs as he accepted that call. That's what you and I need to know too. He's going to meet your emotional and physical and spiritual needs. It's the kind of assurance that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. You have a Father who loves you. If he loves the birds of the air, he certainly is going to love you. You have a Father who cares about you. You have a Father who, when you speak to him in prayer, is going to be there with you. The Sermon on the Mount is the kind of affirmation that you're seeing here that Saul got that day. The Lord wants to do the same for you through conversations and experiences and assurances and prayer. He wants to assure us of his specific call for our lives. Now, how does this work in practical ways? Well, let's suppose you're praying about what school you should go to. You're headed off to school, headed off to college. What school should I go to? And you go out and you check out several of them. God, in some way, 
is going to bring experiences into your life that give you a sense of assurance about God's direction in your life. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says go to this school or to go to that school, but through the people you meet, through the ways that God says he'll meet your needs in that place, for the open doors he gives to meet financial needs, like one college is paid for and another isn't, through the ways that he says I'm going to build relationships in this college and maybe not in that one, through all these different ways God is assuring you of his call. He still works in this way today. So Saul does all this. He gets assured of God's call, and then he goes home. And look at what he tells his family. Verse 14, now Saul's uncle asked him and his servant, where have you been? Looking for the donkeys, he said. (laughs) But when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me what Samuel said to you. Saul replied, he assured me that the donkeys had been found. But he did not tell his uncle what Samuel had said about the kingship. The donkeys, no mention of God's call, no mention of God's anointing, just the donkeys. Let me just tell you, you might be stuck on the donkeys of life. I call them the detailed donkeys, unwilling to accept God's call because I got this donkey to take care of. The question isn't the donkeys. The question is God's call in your life. Saul was stuck. He wasn't talking about the kingship. So because of his inferiority, because he's stuck, look at what happened next, beginning in verse 17. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to them, listen to this buildup. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your calamities and distresses. And you've said, no, set a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. And when Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. And then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? But the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the baggage. So they ran and they brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than all the others. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man that the Lord has chosen? There's no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, Long live the king. And that last part, long live the king, that's the only part that sounds like a coronation. All the rest of this story is about donkeys and now hiding in the baggage. Saul hides from the truth of what God is doing in his life. Talking about donkeys, hiding in the baggage. What a picture. What a picture of those times when I want to hide from the responsibility or the sacrifice or the challenge of what the Lord is asking of me. Lord, let me just talk about the detailed donkeys. Let me just hide in the baggage. This this idea of hiding in the baggage, it just captures my heart. It is so apt for many of the struggles that you and I have. We hide in the baggage of our past, of our fears, of our selfishness, of our doubts, and we miss God's call. So I want to invite you today, get your eyes off the donkeys. Come out from behind the baggage. Accept what God wants to do in your life because he has great and awesome plans for you. It may not be the anointing to be a king. It's the anointing to be a servant, the anointing to make a difference with your life. Would you pray with me? And just say, Lord Jesus, instead of hiding from the work that you're doing in my life, instead of hiding from the work that you want to do in my life, My deepest desire is to embrace all that you're doing. 
So instead of getting stuck on the donkeys or hiding in the baggage, I want to come out from behind all that and stand before you and say, yes, yes, I want to do what you've given me to do. I say this yes in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, tomorrow we're going to begin to look at what caused Saul's greatest distresses, his greatest sins. Mm-hmm.